everybody. Welcome into Mining Stock Daily. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. This is a midday market update, and we got a, a new guest to the show. We're going to be talking about battery metals. But before we get into that conversation, uh, going over a few numbers, gold having a nice day. December gold up to 1921. Uh, that's about a three quarters of a percent move. Uh, silver also having a little bit of rebound. That's up over two and a quarter percent to $24.57. The miners per the GDX, GDX day, J also having a nice green candles. A lot of this has to do with a kind of a fall in the dollar. The Dixie, uh, that is down uh, 0.37% to 93.46. Uh, it's kind of hovering around that age. So that's a chart that I've definitely been watching uh, today while we will be doing so the remainder of this week. Uh, there's been a lot of news out of uh, battery metals and uh, Tesla making, obviously continues to appear in a lot of the headlines. Uh, about a week and a half ago, I reached out to Chris Berry, who's the president of House Mountain Partners, uh, to come onto the show and give us some analysis and thoughts on all this. Uh, Chris is an independent analyst uh, for more than 10 years on the energy metal supply chains. Had the privilege of meeting Chris Oh, about a year and a half ago in New York uh, during a conference, and uh, happy to finally welcome him to Mining Stock Daily. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Trevor. It's great to great to be here with you finally. Uh, we have a lot to cover, and it's <laughs> a little time to do that. But uh, uh, it's kind of been a wild week as far as battery metals and supply chain goes uh, for some of these uh, raw materials. It all started kind of on Battery Day uh, from Tesla and Elon Musk. Uh, you know, looking back on Battery Day, what things did you learn from Tesla and maybe what red flags may did you get from Battery Day? Well, I think, you know, this is probably the wrong word to use when you're talking about batteries, but uh, Battery Day has, has made everything explode in the space, okay? Um, <laughs> in terms of, of what I learned, look, I, as you had mentioned, I've been focusing on the space for 10 years, so I think I was sort of generally aware of, of what Tesla is looking to do, which is dramatically enhance their scale and also vertically integrate. And we learned a lot about you know, their plans, I think, in North America, uh, in particular with, with building out cathode facilities, lithium hydroxide production facilities, um, and, and even expanding, I think, capacity at the Gigafactory out in Nevada. You know, one of the things that jumped out to me a little bit, I, I don't know if I'd call it a red flag necessarily, but certainly is, is deserving of more analysis, was Elon Musk's announcement that uh, Tesla intends to start mining its own lithium and will only do so uh, in Nevada, I should say, not only in Nevada, but will do so in Nevada uh, using table salt and water. And so, you know, I don't come at this specifically from, from the technical aspect. I mean, I'm not a hydrometallurgist or anything like that. But, you know, I know enough about the space to know that producing lithium from clay has, has traditionally been very, very difficult. The economics have been challenging. Uh, there are a couple of companies in Nevada in particular um, Ioneer, uh, Cypress, of course, Lithium Americas with Thacker Pass that are really pioneering uh, producing lithium from clay. But the way that those companies are proposing to do it, which is using sulfuric acid, uh, is, is quite different from the way that Elon, I think, had just sort of rushed over. And so, you know, again, wouldn't call it a red flag, but to, to say that you're just going to produce commercial quantities of battery grade lithium from clay uh, not using any acid, 
when it has never been done commercially before. Um, again, never say never with a company like Tesla, but I think it really needs a lot more scrutiny to make sure that it can work. Yeah, Chris, I watched Battery Day and I and I watched all that. Uh, you know, just from an observation, it kind of felt like Elon and Elon and his partner up there somewhat stumbled through some of the information that they were trying to communicate. But not only that, when it got through the mining and processing information, it was really an oversimplification of what their end goal would be. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right. I mean, there is a again, there's a there's a long history of, um, you know, trying to produce lithium from what I would call alternative sources, meaning not necessarily hard rock, not necessarily brine, which is where the majority of lithium comes from today. And so, again, I, I'm not, you know, willing to sort of dismiss what Tesla has said. But, you know, again, if you just think about uh, here in the United States, what it takes, the amount of time and permitting to build a new, not just a lithium mine, but any mine. I mean, I would estimate personally that it would take Tesla, you know, arguably seven years to start producing commercial quantities of lithium here in the United States, I mean, you've got permitting you've got to think about. Um, obviously, capital raising is not an issue for them with the $400 billion market cap. But nevertheless, this is not something that I would foresee being done anytime in the next couple of years. And of course, you know, one of the, I think, catchphrases coming out of Battery Day was that Terra is the new Giga, which um, I think really speaks to Tesla's ambition in terms of continuing to lead this uh, EV push, if you will, certainly outside China and even inside China, if you look at what they're doing with their gigafactory in Shanghai. But, you know, it's not the vertical integration strategy needs to happen. I mean, I've been talking about this for a long time and maybe we can get into it, but um, it's not something that's going to happen for lithium or nickel or rare earths or anything um, anytime soon. There's a lot, a lot more that needs to be done. Yeah, we do want to get into that conversation, but before we get there, let's kind of go chronologically from Battery Day, and there was the talk about lithium uh, processing in Nevada, but then a week following that, there was news that Tesla had struck a deal with Piedmont Lithium in North Carolina for uh, supply of lithium there. Uh, did that catch you by surprise at all, and what are your thoughts with uh, that uh, pr- producer slash material supplier deal. Yeah, I think, look, it's a, it was a binding agreement, which I thought was really important. Um, it didn't necessarily tie up all of Piedmont's future production, so it left them an opportunity to pursue potential other offtake partners. But having an agreement like that with a company like Tesla is really going to help Piedmont from a capital raising perspective, no doubt about it. So, you know, look, I thought it was a good deal. Um, I think the onus is now on Piedmont to really push forward and, and, you know, get the capital raised and get the project built. But it's a really, really good team. Um, Keith Phillips is a, is a really strong CEO. I, I like him a lot and have a lot of confidence in him. And so, look, I think this will be this will be a real landmark in the sense that, uh, you know, you've only got around 5000 tons of lithium production here in the United States um, out of the Silver Peak uh, brine deposit run by Albemarle in Nevada. And so this is a great opportunity for Piedmont to, you know, separate itself from the pack. And, and with a partner like Tesla, 
I just think it's a very, very positive validation of the team and, and the deposit in particular. Uh, and similarly, we're seeing reports out today, actually, about Tesla looking for nickel production and having direct supply of nickel. Uh, you know, Canada has come up as a source of that. And so everybody's kind of looking at Valet and the uh, massive mining project of Boise's Bay. Uh, you mentioned off mic that this doesn't really surprise you. Uh, and maybe you can chime in on why this is maybe more subdued news than uh, what the market's giving it this morning. Well, I, it's again, for somebody like myself that has really focused on the supply chain and, and has a view on where battery chemistry is, is headed. Um, you know, the need for a lot more, what's called class one high purity nickel is, is very, very clear. Um, you know, for those of you listening on the podcast, you know, you've got a number of different lithium-ion chemistries. The the market for mobility, um, specifically cars and trucks, is going to require here in the West what are, what are known as high nickel cathodes. So you'll hear NCM, you'll hear NCA, uh, which is nickel cobalt manganese, nickel cobalt aluminum, those types of chemistries. Uh, thrown around, those are the ones that are really going to grow because of the ability to enhance energy density. There are chemistries out there, one in particular called LFP, lithium iron phosphate, which does not use uh, nickel in the cathode. But again, you you sacrifice energy density there, which means you just can't drive as far on, on a single charge. And so you know, the automotive industry, I think, generally speaking, is pushing towards more nickel-heavy cathodes, Tesla, of course, in particular. And I think what the market is just starting to realize is that, again, if we, if you want to get to any sort of a substantial EV penetration number, say north of 10% EV penetration, maybe 10 million EVs a year in the next five to six years, you know, you're looking at an order of magnitude more nickel. Okay, that's going to be needed to come on on the market. And uh, new nickel projects are particularly capital intensive, depending upon on the source, whether or not it's sulfide or, or laterite. It can be very expensive. And, you know, the nickel um, market, I should say, nickel nickel producers haven't had a lot of success in the last few years. So you're looking, in my view, at a great deal of stress on the nickel price probably in the next few years. I think that the incentive price to bring on a, a brand new nickel mine could be north of maybe eighteen or $19,000 a ton if we're using LME pricing. And you know today we're sitting here at around $14,000 a ton. So there's, there's definitely some upside there for those companies, for those mining plays that, again, to use Elon Musk's, I guess, language I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, we'll be able to get a giant contract if they can produce nickel uh, sustainably and cleanly. It's a real sort of gauntlet that's been thrown down to the nickel nickel uh, producers. Are there any nickel opportunities uh, for mine development in the United States? You know, if we were to not look at Canada, but look further south? Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got the Eagle Mine, um, which I believe is in, uh, I don't know if that's Minnesota or Michigan. I it's get Michigan, confused sometimes. Michigan, yeah. But, you know, that my understanding is <clears throat> that's getting a little bit closer to end of life. And so, you know, where are those potentially larger scalable projects? One that I have um, started looking at recently is Talon Metals. 
which is in Minnesota. Again, a little bit earlier stage, but so far it looks like there could be some potential upside there. So it's one that I'm kind of keeping an eye on. I don't have any relationship with the company or anything like that. But, you know, just to answer your question specifically, Trevor, that is one project here in, in the United States that, that does come to mind. I know that that uh, kind of northern Michigan Peninsula and Minnesota area, there are some other projects. Aquila Resources is another project that comes up to mind as far as exploration and development. But the real issue there, and it continues to be an issue, is permitting. Uh, and do you think, you've been in this space long enough, do you think maybe a company, a well-known company uh, like a Tesla coming in and maybe providing support for material supply from something like that, might be enough to sway regulators to maybe be a little bit more lenient with permitting here in the United States? Uh, you know, I think the jury is, is still out on that. Um, I think that if, if this, and this is why coming back to Tesla and their lithium claims, this is why um, that is so important because if they really can produce lithium sustainably with minimal environmental harm, <clears throat> then, you know, if they can find ways or help pioneer ways to do that for cobalt, for nickel, for these other battery metals, then perhaps, you know, the regulators and the environmentalists and companies like Tesla can kind of work together to really build out a self-sufficient, uh, and I'll use in air quotes, environmentally friendly supply chain. I mean, there are always going to be trade-offs, but again, I wouldn't necessarily think, you know, you're going to see any huge breakthroughs um, along that line, along those lines anytime soon. So, you know, we're a little bit of a stalemate here. Okay. Uh, let's talk about vertical integration. And part of what Tesla has announced in the last couple of weeks, uh, really in my mind, I, I, for a number of years, I have, I have thought that the material supply chain for production was ripen for disruption. Uh, and you could use, you know, I always wondered, like, why don't producers just go straight to the source of these materials? Uh, is there a place for something like a blockchain uh, to provide backdrop of how these materials are produced and sent through the supply chain? Um, are we, is this just one step closer to that complete disruption? Uh, and what are your thoughts here? What might change? Well, I think, you know, at the end of the day, whether we want to admit it or not, this is always going to be an economic decision. Um, you know, that is why cobalt is produced predominantly in the DRC, because there's a lot of it. It's high grade, I think, relative to other parts of the world. And it also is produced alongside high grade copper, which helps with the overall production costs. Um, you know, there is a huge element of kind of nimbyism with all of this, you know, not in my backyard. But I do think that, um, you know, given the size of the prize, I mean, you're looking at and I'm not one for hyperbole, but you're looking at trillions of dollars in economic opportunity around electrification and around decarbonization. Now, again, that trillions of, of dollars, you know, is going to be uh, generated in over over decades, right, over the coming mm -hmm. decades. But making those tough decisions now and making those investments now is is a way to sort of get our foot in the door, I think, and and rebuild and reclaim supply chains here. I think that there's a huge role in terms of uh, extraction of metals and, of course, cathode and anode production all along the batteries chain. There's a huge role for technology. And so it's really incumbent on the private sector. It's also incumbent on 
you know, the government here in the United States, I would argue, to work together to fund that R&D and really own and then develop that intellectual property alongside developing the raw materials. I mean, it's no secret that, you know, lithium is not rare. Uh, even rare earth metals aren't rare. I mean, we know where they are. It's all about the economics. And that's why I think going forward, you know, the real wealth, in my view, isn't going to be created in mining by, you know, finding a billion tons of, of something. It's going to be created by showing the market the ability to produce that metal or, or oxide or what have you uh, sustainably and at scale and at, at a battery quality uh, level. How much of that goes back to, you know, there's an executive order signed by the Trump administration, just, I think it was just last week, titled uh, Addressing the Threat of the Domestic Supply Chain from Reliance on Critical Minerals from Foreign Adversaries. How much of that goes back to to that kind of administrative push? And then on top of that, you mentioned economics are always going to drive whatever we end up doing. And quite simply, the economics of rare earths, even uranium in this country, it just are not there. Yeah, I, that, that's a, that's a, been a real issue for a long, long time. That's why that's why, in my view, you know, it's it's not about finding a higher grade resource or, or what have you. It's all about mining technologies. OK, um, or improving upon existing mining technologies out there to lower those costs. Um you know, th th I think there probably is a role here for the government to, you know, it gets a little bit thorny, right? Because it's not pure capitalism if the government's involved. Um, but if we want to have self-sufficient and secure supply chains for critical materials, again, many of which we have talked about over the last 10 or 15 minutes, you know, there is going to have to be some sort of federal role, whether or not it's, you know, loan guarantees or, I, you know, I, there are a million different things you could do. I mean, I'm encouraged to see the Trump administration finally, you know, bringing this to the fore and 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 saying, look, this is very important and we don't want to be reliant on adversaries like the Chinese or like the Russians or what have you for critical materials. But, you know, the time to write reports about it is long, has long since passed. Now it's time to start you know, I think putting public-private consortiums together, funding these deals, and getting it done. Uh, I don't know if you heard, we are in kind of a political turmoil right now in the last couple of weeks. Really? It's <laughs> like the last couple of years. I know. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, do you feel like uh, some of the things that the Trump administration and Trump himself have uh, really pushed forward as far as uh, the supply chain and sourcing materials here in America has been maybe a little bit more aggressively been picked up by Joe Biden and the Democrats as well. Uh, you know, I think um, I think, you know, that's that's probably correct. I think that Joe Biden's uh, plan um, is is, again, probably similar in terms of of scale. I mean, he's talking about and I'm going to mess these numbers up, but. I think his plan was calling for, you know, two trillion dollars or something like that of of green infrastructure. And that can mean a lot of different things um, across the supply chain. But, you know, I think the Democrats are, are you know, pretty serious about this. The question is, 
you know, when you when you really get down to it and think about those trade-offs, like how willing are we to, uh, you know, produce rare earths uh, in this country or or mine lithium? I mean, that's always been sort of a stumbling block um, on the from the environmental groups. And I'm not saying that you know that's that's not a challenge. I mean, or not valid. It's certainly a challenge, and it's something that needs to be worked through. But you know, Trump's I think rhetoric is is a well, not a little bit more bellicose. It's a lot more bellicose, and it's obviously directed at one country in China. Um, and I think that you know the Democrats probably have maybe a less a less hostile plan, but you know one that is probably equally grand in its in its scope and its ambition. And you know, look, we are in the United States. We're not really just competing with China at this point in time. I mean, if you look at what's happening in the European Union with their Green New Deal and their plan for green growth. I mean, you will see a what I would call a domestic, a European, pan-European domestic battery supply chain within the next 10 years. I'm absolutely convinced. I mean, they have all the tools, they have the political will and the patience. And that's really what and the patience to get this done. And that's really what it takes. And we in the United States need to, despite the political turmoil, in my view, look ourselves in the mirror and you know, figure out, okay, do we have the capital? Yes, absolutely. The world is awash in, in liquidity. Um, we have the political will right now, uh, both, I would argue, on the Republican and the Democratic side. And uh, the question is, do we have the patience? I mean, I, I have seen these types of um, situations before. You know, if I go back to, say, 2012, when the last rare earth crisis, and I'll use crisis in air quotes, uh, erupted, you know, there was lots of hand wringing and pearl clutching in Washington and, you know, bills were written and, and nothing really happened and nothing happened again because it all boiled down to economics where pricing fell back to a point where it didn't make sense just from a pure economic perspective to build out rare earth projects outside of China. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that has changed, but it's going to take a, a new model of capital raising and it's going to be a mixture of public and private consortia. Very interesting, Chris. Uh, that was, we're going to leave it there because I, we'll, ha- we'll, we'll, we'll have a little cliffhanger for the next time you come on <laughs> and we'll pick that up. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, but uh, hey, uh, for people who want to follow up with you uh, with any questions or maybe just maybe want to follow you in general, uh, where could they do that? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, my handle is cberry1. That's cberry, the number one. And, you know, I'm on LinkedIn and um, other places like that. But Twitter is is really probably where you're, you're going to find me the easiest. All right. Chris, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Enjoyed it.